Well, hello, everyone. I'm Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Now, let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are, and let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies, and our time together can just be as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Obviously, I'm not in my typical place. Do I have a typical place these days? I'm traveling and I'm out of state. I'm in a hotel room. This is the best lighting that I could get. So I hope this is okay for you. I really do believe we need to start like a where's Rev Carla now kind of thing. And we can vote on what the best is. But I've done pretty good. I'm as close to the window as I can get. And I've got some lighting. So I think this is going to work just fine. So this is called... When life is smarter than you are. And I have a blog on this at numasoul.com that you can read as well. Now, I'm going to start this as I do the blog where I say I don't talk a lot about my personal life. It's not something that I'm real comfortable with doing. And a lot of that is uh, personal and it's intentional because even though I'll talk about my deconstructing and... I'll give you a lot of details about that, mainly because I, with all due respect, I don't give a flip what you think about how I deconstructed, who I am now, and what I believe. Because if you're critical of it, then it just means you're not supposed to be here. So why are you listening? (laughs) Why are you following me? And I don't mean that glib, but truly, don't you have other things that you should be doing? But when it comes to telling personal stories, then it's a different thing because people like to gatekeep your personal stories. A couple of months ago, I shared a story about getting kicked out of my HOA Facebook group because someone had shared a video of Ben Shapiro. Okay, this is a Facebook group for the HOA that says as part of its guidelines and rules that it is not supposed to be political. It is not supposed to put, you're not supposed to post anything about selling your beliefs and anything, no religious or anything. And yet one of the admins posted this video because it was about America. So she thought everyone could get behind it. I reported it and she was confused about what reporting did to your algorithm inside Facebook. So she took it very personal that I had reported the video as being inappropriate and ended up, this is a long story and I'm trying to make it short, but basically what ended up happening is she posted a response that told who reported it, me, and called me a liberal snowflake and then opened the floodgates to let everybody start attacking me. And I knew that this was going to be that kind of energy because of the type of HOA and the people who are in in this particular setting. I pushed back and I said, I just want to make it clear that you as an admin have just revealed my identity and allowing people to attack me. So instead of doing her admin duties, she blocked me, kicked me out. Then when another admin called her out on it. She said that she, it, she didn't know how it happened. She re, she denied doing it, even though she was the only other person who could have kicked me out. And I believe you can also see the history. So the other admin invited me back in the group. I decided at that time, it was really toxic. And a lot of the stuff that they said about me, even though they had never met me, was incredibly vitriolic for such an innocent thing as posting 
reporting something that shouldn't have been in the group in the first place and allowing that kind of attacking to go towards a member, it wasn't a safe space to return to. So I was telling that situation about the importance of using your voice because number one, I knew that there were people in that group that who had been historically oppressed, members of the LGBTQIA plus community, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And I was making sure that this place was going to continue to be a safe space and Ben Shapiro is not a safe space. So I was making a decision at that point, once I was invited back in to say, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of a group that allows this kind of thing to go on. I got criticized from people who said you should have gone back in the group. I didn't ask you for what my decisions were. I'm sharing a story about how to use your voice. I had people contact me personally and thank me who were part of the historically oppressed and thank me and and also understood why I left because it became very, very toxic to the point of threatening. But yet people like to so much gatekeep your personal stories that they completely miss the whole point of what it takes to use your voice, but wanting to take it down to the granular to say, I have a right to say the decisions you made and I'm going to judge them. All of that to say is that's why I have a hard time sometimes sharing some of my personal stories because of the way people will pick the most minute detail and decide to hone in on that and judge you, condemn you, ridicule you, criticize you, different things like that. And it just becomes a whole other thing with its with its whole other energy. And I, I do get a little tired of that. Another time when I did right after Roe versus Wade was overturned, I did a story about being pregnant at 16. And I'm not going to go through all that details. It's back there in TikTok if you want to go find it back in June, I believe is when it was overturned. And the people who said you should have given the child up, my daughter, who is now 43, I, I made that very clear that at the time I had decided that I was no longer going to judge people. I had been a right to lifer up until that time. I was no longer going to judge people because I had the privilege of having a support system around me who would allow me to make the decision to uh, remain pregnant. And yet people were saying that because of my age, I should have given the child up. And it was quite a few people. And then judging me because I went ahead and got married. I Listen, I'm not saying that my life is perfect or I didn't make mistakes. And I'm going to share a little bit about that now. But what I realize is that no matter what you do about telling your story, there is always going to be someone out there who is triggered by it in some way. And instead of listening to it to be inspired, listens to it to gatekeep, most likely because there's something in your story that is triggering them. There's something out there that is reminding them of something about themselves, and it's easier to deflect and put it back on you than to sit with the story and say, what is this teaching me? What does this have to do with me? So even if it's something as innocent as an HOA story, and you want to make it about how you think I did something wrong in that situation, instead of saying, okay, listen to this story and then look at when was the last time you used your voice to stand up for the oppressed? And then what happened? What were the consequences when you did that? No, they don't want to go there. They want to gatekeep your decisions. So 
that's been, that's also kept me away from telling my stories, but I am getting a little bit more brave about it. So here's another one for you. And I would call this more of just an inspirational story. I don't know why I felt the need to write this now because it's not necessarily related to my deconstructing, but someone out there, whenever I get these nudges about my writings, I often realize that somebody out there needs to hear this story because of something that you're going through right now. So that's the way we're going to look at this today. Okay. So going back to the time I was 16 and newly married and had my first child when I was 17. And so here we are, fast forward a a couple of years. So I'm just in my early 20s. Now we have two kids. I know that it's time for me to go back to school, even though we're in this tiny trailer. I think it was a 12 by 50 two bedroom trailer and the four of us were living in there. We were doing fine. We were paying our bills and financially we were doing okay. But in order to get to that next level, I knew I was going to have to go to work. However, I also knew that there was something about me that said, I am not just going to go get a factory job. Now, let me pause here and tell you that there is absolutely nothing wrong with getting a factory job. There is absolutely nothing wrong with working fast food. I've done both. But there was something in me that said, I'm going for something else here. And I'm going to start putting the pieces into place now. And it wasn't as if I wasn't contributing at that time. When we talk, just like I was in high school, I worked almost a full-time job. I worked on the weekends and I worked after school, even though I was busy athletically and I was a cheerleader and I did all these things and, and I was busy socially as well. I went on to the, went to all the basketball games and I still worked a full-time job. So I worked at a chicken place and when I'd come home, my dogs would lick my shoes because of all the chicken fat that was getting on my shoes. I wasn't afraid of hard work and I wasn't afraid of it here either because I just knew that I wanted something that was going to be the foundation for when, when I go forward in my life professionally. Now in the blog, I tell the story about in high school, how I was paying the gas for my car and it was a, is an El Camino and the floorboard literally had a hole the size of Texas in it. And my friends knew that if I went over a pothole, you better raise your feet and you better never keep anything in the floorboard because it would get wet. So you kept had to keep everything on the uh, seat or in the back because we knew that that this isn't this isn't going to work. So I, I don't know. I just wanted to, I just wanted to share that because I did love that car. And there's nothing about my my education or my high school experience that was really spectacular other than I wasn't afraid of hard work, but it didn't prepare me for adulthood in any way, shape or form. I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know how to be a wife. I didn't really know how to keep a house. Who who does at that age? I just did the best I could. And I know I made a lot of mistakes. I can even think back at our wedding when I was 16 and it was a an evangelical Christian wedding where at the time that pastor of this small Christian church even was known for his cringeworthy ceremonies, whether it was a funeral or it was a wedding, you were going to just get a sermon because it was more important to him to get people to turn to salvation than, than to actually give the couple words of wisdom that could actually help or give a family comfort 
in our small school, we had a horrible tragedy my junior year where we lost two classmates to a horrible accident, a fiery, horrible accident where they basically hit head on with a a semi. And he was responsible for the funeral of those two young girls. And he never mentioned their names. He never said anything. I remember at that time being so angry, sitting there, seething, clenching my teeth, gripping my fingernails because I just thought this is enraging. He's not helping the situation at all. Remember, I've I've talked about those breadcrumbs in your life that you can point back to to say back then, here I am, a young girl of 16 going, this is not right. He's more worried about getting people the call to salvation than to talk about comforting the family and the lives of these two young girls were the entire town basically turned out. It was standing room only for their funeral. So all of that to say that was the pastor that did our wedding and there wasn't any, there weren't any words of wisdom for us at that time. But at that time, we thought that we could have a lifetime together just based on what we knew from high school. But it turned out that that lifetime together could only last about seven years. But, and I'm not saying that people who meet at high school can't make it. We know that they do. Uh, Some of them go on to be married for 50 years, but it just wasn't going to be us. But for a while in that little two bedroom trailer, life was good. And I was also working hard at the time. Dance aerobics was coming on and I was the queen. I had the routine to Disco Inferno Inferno and all those uh, songs and I knew how to do it. And I wasn't afraid to get up early, pack up my kids, go to classes, but I also needed the flexibility to take them to nursery school to do the things I needed to do. So that kind of, those kinds of jobs gave me the flexibility to do what I needed to do until they didn't. And that just meant that I needed to uh, make with the with the second baby with our second uh, our first son uh, born, I needed to make more money. And with only a high school education, I knew my educational or my employment opportunities were going to be very slim. Like I said, this was a, an area where fast food and factory work were going to be my main two options. But knowing that I was still going to carry the responsibilities of the primary caregiver the home responsibilities and all the school and babysitter arrangements, I just was not going to enter the workforce, carrying all those work uh, responsibilities, home responsibilities, looking at a full-time job with zero flexibility and little pay. So already I'm starting to see the groundwork of things that I at that time didn't see. I'm young, but I'm saying I'm not going to participate fully into this patriarchal system That was part of our familial and religious indoctrination that basically said that, yes, women, even though you're working a full-time job, you are still 100% responsible for the responsibilities at home. Now, I know there's going to be somebody screaming right now, but wait a minute, that wasn't my life. Or if a man hears this and say, no, I had responsibilities, good for you. Your singular life doesn't reflect the majority of what's going on. And it's indisputable that religion and families here in America is largely based on a patriarchal system that suppresses the rights of women 
and says that your main value is how you show up in supporting the family through the homework that you do, regardless of what your responsibilities are outside of the home. You still have to do those. So good on you if that wasn't your experience, but for the large majority of us, that is absolutely our experience. As I know it was for my mother, I have memories of being plucked out of my warm bed, like felt like in the middle of the night, being wrapped in a blanket, being deposited in the front seat of a truck. And we're talking the old style trucks and being driven someplace where I was then still in the night, wrapped in my blanket, dropped into a bed at a babysitter who would wake us up to take us to school and get us ready for school, who we would get off the school bus at her house, wait till it was dark, wait for our mother to pick us up, take us back to home. And basically where she would then have to do the laundry, take us to um, feed us supper and get ready to do it all over again. I remember one night a week, we, instead of going home, we would have the laundry in the back of the truck, go to the laundromat where we would sit there and wait for her to do the laundry. We might be exhausted and falling asleep in our chair, but it didn't matter. The laundry had to get done. And that was our lives. I also have a memory of being so poor that the truck wouldn't start. It was a clutch. Everything was clutches back then. And I having to push down on the clutch while my mom pushed the truck down the hill, jump into the truck, and then have me pop the clutch so that she could start driving. I was terrified. Can you imagine? Now, I'm not blaming my mom. My mom was in survival mode. My mom was doing the best that she could. And sometimes you have to bring your kids along into that experience. So, but I do remember, and she did it. She wasn't afraid of hard work. And no doubt that's where I got my uh, work ethic as well. And so for me, what I didn't realize at the time, what I was doing was saying that I am no longer going to be a part of this patriarchal system that demands that I lose my voice and I make myself so small that I can no longer be seen and heard. I just didn't know it at the time, but that's exactly what I was doing. Now, I know I'm not the first woman in history. I'm not certainly sitting here patting myself on the back. And as soon as I wrote those words, as I was preparing for this podcast, I had this vision of Shirley Chisholm. And let me bring up this really quickly because Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman to serve in Congress, and she was elected in 1968. And I love what history.house.gov wrote about her. And I'll put this in the show notes. It says, Chisholm's welcome in the house was not welcome, was not warm due to her refusal to abide by longstanding house expectations for first-term members to fly under the radar. Quote, I have no intention of just sitting quietly and observing, she said. I intend to focus on the nation's problem, end quote. And the article says she did just that, lashing out against the Vietnam War in her first floor speech on March 26th, 1969. So women breaking barriers, women refusing to participate in that patriarchal system is why it has weakened the way it is. Historically oppressed, the Black, Indigenous, and people of color, the LGBTQIA plus community, refusing to take part in this patriarchal system that demands that they move down the structure so that the white Christian male can stay on top. No more. And I just didn't see over at that time that that's exactly what I was doing by saying, I'm not going to just dive into this 
and not be able to have my voice and be able to care for my family the way I know that I should. And I know I wasn't thinking about any of that at all other than I want to go to school. I, I want, I know that I, I want a career where I have some flexibility, that I have the ability to make more money. So I'm going to go to school and I chose a vocational school because let's face it, my grades weren't that great, even though they were good enough to get in. There's nothing wrong with a vocational school. I am not minimizing it at all. And in less than two years, I had graduated there with an AS degree, an associate's degree in, get this, secretarial science, because in the 70s and 80s, that was a big deal. And they called us secretaries at that time. And I was good at it. Not only was I a good typist, I was a great at shorthand. Yes, we were still taking shorthand and I could fly through that. One of my classes was also doing an adding machine and I could fly through that. But also what was so important at that time was the fact that the computer was coming on. The, the PC, even though it had been in production for several several years, it was the first time that you were actually starting to see people being trained in them in a way that would prepare them for office work outside of just big corporations who could afford them. The PC was coming into offices. So we were one of the first classes to be trained in that. And we're not talking about the laptops and the PCs that you see now. We're talking about these big behemoth machines that would really take an entire desk. My first floppy disk was about a 10 inch disk. In order for you to print, you had to move one and put in another because there wasn't enough memory on one disk to hold all the operating system inside that machine. And I, I got it. I got it all. And this was such a great experience for me because it was the first time outside of my high school education, my family experience, uh, my marriage that I could start to see what the things that I could do. And I met good, fun people, great people, some that I'm still friends with some 40 years later. So uh, there was a lot of things about that that taught a lot of me about who I am. It gave me the confidence and it affirmed to me that I was on the right path, that there was something else that I could do that would, that would set me up professionally for where I wanted to go. Now, fast forward, because that went over in a blink of an eye. And all of a sudden, now I'm looking for a job. And I started to enter the job market through my vocational school, because part of what we got to do there was learn how to interview, what to say, what to, not to say, what to wear, how to sit, how to look enthusiastic, all these things we were taught about how to prepare for the job market. And because I was excelling in all my classes, I and a couple other students were chosen to go to what they call the premier interviews. And I was excited. Now, I will tell you that there were 20 or so that came through because people, we were in high demand. Again, we were the first class of, of students who were learning about personal computers. People had these things, these monsters sitting on their desks and they didn't know how to work them. So they were waiting for people like us to come in. And I refused to interview at all of them. Because when I saw how much they were willing to pay us for demanding 60 hours a week, I said, I can't do that. I can't drive for my small town. I'll lose money and I'll never see my children. I'm not doing this. 
And so I refused to go. And my advisor kept saying, you're not going to go. You're not going to go. I said, no, there's something there. There's something there. And even though at night I'd go, what am I doing? I mean, I'm just coming home to my little trailer. I'm doing the same thing, trying to get my kids ready for the next day and getting them to bed and studying. I'd have to study sometimes on the weekends because yes, I did have accounting classes and history classes and, and things like that. So I did have to study. And I still just said, no, I'm going to stay true to this. I'm going to stay true to who I am. Even though I was questioned by those at school, I was questioned by those in my family who said, hey, those are good jobs. What are you doing? Like, And, and looking at me like, who do you think you are? And I thought, well, you're not the one that's going to have to be there at 630 at night when you have to go pick up your tired kids. I'm not doing this. So I'm going to continue to be true to myself. And like I've said, when you look at your life and only this one thing, and you think that there was a catalyst that said, what made me finally say, completely reject patriarchal systems around the familial or the religious systems, you usually have those breadcrumbs sitting back there that tell you, that show you who you were, that there were hints of you back there trying to point you to your authenticity. At the time, I just didn't know it. All I knew was that I, the job was coming and it did. It came in the form, my advisor called me in and another person said, okay, you two are the only ones that are going for this position. And I thought it was my dream job. It was Social Security Administ Administration, SSA. Yes, SSA. Now that's reliable. It's predictable. Great insurance. Their hours would be exactly when my kids could be go to nursery school. I thought, this is amazing. I am so looking forward to this just to have the opportunity. I cried because I thought I'm being proven that this is exactly what I need to do. And the interview went really well uh, because like I said, I had been prepared and the gentleman was not your typical gentleman of the 70s and 80s. He was in his 50s. Um, he was no nonsense. But the one thing I remember about him that I found uh, unique was that he listened. He listened to my responses. He didn't listen for just a second. He listened to my responses. And then he asked clarifying questions. And we had a conversation. He wasn't there to impress me. He wasn't there to mansplain. And let's face it, at that time, that was an anomaly. And I know that someone right now is also going to say, well, not my dad, not my husband. They weren't like the typical uh, misogynistic people. And yes, I, I knew men who weren't that way at that time, but largely, especially in the educational system, your religious system, your professional systems, you had a lot of men out there who saw women as second class citizens who didn't deserve to be paid, who didn't deserve to have a voice, who were distracted, who looked at us as sex objects and constantly mansplaining everything. And you just had to take it and bat your eyes. That was the world that I had been raised in. Remember, I was raised in the 60s. I knew how men were. You learn it early, but he was different. And I knew that that was a good interview. I knew when I left there that that was a good interview. And I felt so confident that I had gotten the job because of how easy the interview had gone. So I was not surprised the next day when I got called back into my advisor's office and she said, he wants to see you again. This is it. I got the job. So I go, and he calls me back. 
And if you have not read the blog at this point, your mind can go a thousand different ways as I would if I were hearing this story because you think, okay, calls me back into his office. Here I am, an attractive young woman. Why is this man calling me back if it's not just to give me the job? He offers me water. I sit down and we have this conversation. But his integrity stayed intact, but he still broke my heart because what he said was, I have never done this in all my 30 years of my career. He said, because I've never called somebody back that I'm not giving a job to. And my stomach hit the floor. I really felt the breath leave my lungs. However, whatever other cliche you want to feel around it, I started to like, I think physically, visibly wobble. And I think he could tell it because he kept assuring me that this was the best thing for me. And it's like when your parents say, this hurts me more than it hurts you kind of thing. I didn't care. I could not believe I did not get this job. And I didn't understand why he had to call me back. I, I was like, why would you do this to somebody? Why would you call me back if you weren't going to give me the job? But he went on to say something about me being a unique person. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just trying to get by. I got to have a job. Now what am I going to do? I passed up all those other opportunities because I knew something like this was coming down the, the way. And he said something about me having a gift that goes far beyond the work that I would do at SSA. Like, no, I want to do this work. It sounds exciting. I've been trained for this work. Why won't you give me a chance? Now I'm saying all this internally. I'm not saying this out outside because I can't speak. I'm so upset. And he says, you would not stay here you would not stay in this job. And I thought, no, I would stay forever. And he said, no, you wouldn't be happy because I want you to promise me something that you will continue your education and you will discover what else life has for you because it is not here. And I thought, dude, I just want to make my Chevette payment. I, you don't know what I need. You don't know what I want. And he just said, look, I, I hope, I know this is hard, but I just hope someday you realize your full potential. Now y'all, when I say that that was one of my crushing moments at that time, but also one of my defining moments, even though I will say that it took me years of mul multiple mistakes to finally get to that point. But one of the things I was dreading was going back and telling people that I didn't get that job and many people wondering what I had done wrong. And I, me too, wondering what I had done wrong. And there would be years in my life where I would continue to think that I had done things wrong instead of looking at the gifts that I had and how else I could amplify them in the world. So after I finally zigged and zagged throughout life, you know what I did? I went back and finished school. And then I went on to seminary. And then I started teaching people because even when I was at the vocational school, that's what I did. I knew computers so well that they would pull me out of class and have me go help people, even the instructors, when they didn't quite understand why the DOS command wasn't working because this was way before Microsoft. I was doing that. I was teaching. So before I left my teens, I was rejecting patriarchy and knew that something else out there was waiting for me. And all along my life, I had breadcrumbs showing me that my gift was teaching and that I was going to not only deconstruct, but reject patriarchal's control over my life and to show other people how patriarchy has harmed them and how to heal from it and how we as a collective can start to dismantle it. I think he was right. 
it took me a long time to get there. And I don't know what happened to that man. That was almost 40 years ago. He was probably in his 50s then. I'm not sure he was alive. I've often gone by the SSA office, which is long gone from the the place where I had interviewed just to see if I know he's not there, but if they know his name. So I could say you were right. He might not even remember me. But after years of dis- dismissing that experience as an embarrassment, I now see that the, there was a man who was rejecting normative standards of patriarchy. And he could have manipulated me. Instead, he empowered me. He left me with a gift that it took me years to realize. And for just a moment, he decided to pause and speak truth into my life because he could see that I was also fighting the same system he was. And I'm very grateful. I don't remember his name, but I think whoever he is, he's touched other people and I think he knows it. And now I want him to know that I believe him. And for you to hear this, that someone believed in you or believes in you and sees you for who you truly are. And may you believe them when those they speak those words over you, when they tell you that you have a gift, when they see something inside you that you cannot see inside yourself now, belief that it will come forward. Believe it. Because I am believing it for you. Blessed be. Okay, you beautiful souls, thank you for listening. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla, and you'll get to see my setup here, which is just so beautiful. It's a beautiful studio, isn't it? Check out my Patreon to access unique opportunities that includes bonus content, live Q&A sessions, and support from a community of spiritual, not religious souls just like you. Coming soon, we'll be expanding and adding additional tiers to create a spiritual community like no other. You can always connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and on our websites at revcarla.com and numasoul.com. And now, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray you receive something I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week. See you soon. Bye for now.